Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. We have experienced several deaths recently in our congregation. Some even now, as was announced, may loom upon the horizon due to terminal illnesses, various diagnoses, old age and the like. And the reality is any of us at any time can face death. It is around the corner, as it has been said. And naturally, as we stare death in the face, when we see that loved one who is in the casket, we are led to ask the question, what next? What lies beyond for that one who has now passed into eternity? Are they resting now peacefully in heaven or are they living in the torments of hell? There is a tendency among members in the Lord's church today, and I certainly would not exclude myself by any means, that in these times we might immediately follow with a question that really might be categorized more so as a doctrinal matter a matter that is of great significance. And oftentimes it does distinguish us from those who truly believe and those who only claim to believe. And that question often is this. Was he or she baptized for the forgiveness of their sins? I want to say right now how much I appreciate that question, because I believe that baptism is not only a sign of authentic Christianity, but I also think it is one of the most controversial doctrines that we face in the modern religious world today. And it is one that I think will test a believer's true faith like none other. I am grateful for members of the Lord's church who continue to stand where the Bible stands and who continue to ask the question, have you been baptized? Have you been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? But I also want to say this morning, that that is not the first question to ask. It may not even be the second question to ask. And it may not even be the third question to ask. Here is really the question that needs to be asked. And perhaps if only there were one question to ask, this would be the question because if we can give answer to this question, well, all else will naturally 
follow from the answer to this question? And I think you may already know what that question is, as we have read from our scripture reading this morning. That question is this. Did that man love the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, and with all of his soul? That is the question that needs to be asked. First and foremost, in the life of every person. And if you will excuse my poor analogy here, all else is kind of like little trees in a big forest. Let's notice again Jesus' words in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38. And let's provide a little context this time. We're going to take note of three very important sections that surround this key text. The first section is found in Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. And I might entitle this section, The Legalists. A legalist is a person who places all of their mind, their heart, their soul, and strength on the details of the law rather than the one to whom it was given to, that is man, and even ignores the lawgiver himself, and that is God. Because they are so immersed to see only the details of the law that they see nothing else, neither their fellow man nor their one God, nor the purpose for which they serve. And this is very evident from the beginning of this section. You'll notice what it says there at the beginning. It says that the Pharisees went and plotted. There's your word already. They plotted how they might entangle Jesus, that's the hymn, in his talk. Scripture says they want to catch Jesus. They want to catch him, perhaps, in his words. Maybe he'll say something. And if he says something wrong, we got him. Luke's account tells us that by doing so, very clearly here in Luke 20, verse 20, they would be able to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. That's their hopes. That's why they are there. People often try to catch preachers in their words sometimes. That way they have something to talk about. Something to distinguish themselves from others. Or perhaps to justify their own sinful deeds. That's why these Pharisees are here before the master preacher. They're not looking for justification of sin. They're not looking for truth. They're not looking for righteousness. How they might better be able to serve the interests of God. The only thing, the only reason that they are there is because they have their own self-interests. And they are served by the details 
of the law and their knowledge of them. We know this, really, concerning their motives and their heart, not just because of what we've already read, but we also just need to back up one day, really, perhaps it was, at the start of this final week for Jesus, as he made that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's where we are at in Matthew's account. The final week of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And you might be reminded immediately what he did. He turned over the tables of those money changers. Thieves is what he really called them. A den of thieves is what they were making God's house, according to Jesus. They were not lovers of God. They did not have interest in God. They were not serving the interests and the desires of God. They were there for themselves. They were lovers of money, and they used the minutia of the law to serve their own self gains because no one could question them. They knew about the details of the law. These are the legalists of Jesus' time. They don't care about God, they don't care about their fellow man. They don't even really care, seemingly, about the law itself. The only thing they care about concerning the law is how it serves their own interests. They are not lovers of God. They are lovers of selves. Christian family, can I speak to you openly and frankly for a moment? There are religious people all around us today. Some even in the Lord's church whose Bible study, whose Bible conversation, whose Bible defenses, whose Bible accusations against others are nothing more than a shroud of self-interest that is clothed in religiosity. These are those who do not love God, but they love their own selves. And to those who would have nothing to do with this way of life, Take a play from Jesus' book right now and keep yourself grounded in Scripture because that's exactly what Jesus did. And don't be led away into various and obsessive arguments and disputes about words, especially when you detect and notice the fruit of those who have no interest in serving God though they concern themselves greatly for whatever reason in the word of God. Let's move on now to the next section. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 33. I might entitle this section, The Liberals. Let me say for a moment, by the way, side note, these terms are somewhat anachronistic. In other words, they don't truly parallel the culture and time when we speak of legalists and liberals or conservatives and liberals. And yet, in a very principled way, it is still fitting to use these terms because we can see the inclination of one side who bends hard to the right. And the attitudes 
and the tools and the resources that they use to do so. We see those principles, or at least we see the shadows thereof. And likewise, as we look to that other side, we can see again some of the very same principles as they bend to the left and some of the attitudes and motives and tools that emerge as they do so. We see these commonalities on both sides. And so I might entitle this section, The Liberals. And I want you to notice how Matthew almost immediately here identifies their scriptural ignorance. Matthew 22, verse 23, Matthew says, they say there is no resurrection. And so their scriptural ignorance becomes very plain to see. Jesus himself is going to accuse them in verse 29 of not knowing the scriptures. This is the status of our liberal, left-leaning friends, commonly. Unlike our hard, right-leaning friends, they are careless in the word of God. They lack knowledge about the scriptures. In fact, it might even be right to say they really could care less about the details, the weeds, they might term it, in the word of God. They are concerned more about the practicality of things. They are concerned more about their position and their status in life commonly, even though we would say that those who bend hard to the right do likewise and meet them in a circle. They are more concerned about their way of life. And to say that there is no resurrection, well, that is quite fitting to their way of life because they are more concerned with earthly and material things. And you know what? It probably does not serve them best to think about things beyond this life. In fact, the Sadducees were also known as the aristocrats of the Jewish society. They were the royalty. They were the kings, the princes. And commonly, yes, you guessed it, they were of the Sadducean sect. The high priest himself was a Sadducee, Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all to see that their perception of heavenly things, well, to them, everything is earthly. Life is here, and that's all there is. So they ask the question, don't they? Whose wife will she be? As they test Jesus in this entangling question. The point is, again, that they are not lovers of God. They do not love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. They do not seek him. Their interests are served elsewhere. And as a result, they do not come to a true knowledge of God. Brothers and sisters, let me once again speak openly and frankly to you again. There are those, even in our own brotherhood, who have a heart full of gold. They care perhaps about people, but they are not grounded in the word of God. There are still others who have been led astray by various doctrines, strange teachings, and all on account of because they seek earthly and material things. They concern themselves 
most of all with life here on earth. And so they would just as easily move from one doctrine to the next if it suited their own self-interests. Again, I say, take a play to those of you who are not of this mindset. Take a play from Jesus' book and stay grounded in the word of God. The gospel is our only hope. It's not sincerity, even though that's necessary and important. It's not how much we love and care others, even though that is extremely important. But the gospel is our hope because we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And there is only one path, one hope for us to heaven. And that is through this word right here that has been given to us. Stay grounded. Stay grounded in the word of God. So we come to this final section. And I would entitle this section, Matthew 22, 34 through 40, The Seekers. The Seekers. Now it's true that Matthew's account in the New King James Version speaks of a lawyer who asked Jesus a question, testing him. And we can take from that something very negative, can't we? Some versions even say they tried to trap him, and that is very clear. But the word itself simply means to try or to examine. Mark's account will conclude this whole incident in Mark chapter 12 with a statement from Jesus that seems very positive for the lawyer who has come to him asking this question, saying, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's a very positive affirmation for this man. It may be that the lawyer in this case had a change of heart as the conversation proceeded. Maybe he was on neutral grounds working, it would seem, as we see in verse 34, when the Pharisees and Sadducees heard them gathered together, that he proceeded from this group with a mission, with a task. And so, trying to fulfill that task, perhaps indeed he was trying to trap him. That was the assignment. But in either case, again, as we see the conclusion of this matter, he's not far from the kingdom after he hears Jesus' words. Now here's the simple question that's asked. Which is the great commandment, teacher, in the law? Why is this question so controversial in Jesus' time? Why is, do you think that this question is being asked? Why would it trap Jesus, at least potentially? And the answer to that question seems to rest most heavily on a time period before the New Testament was written. Therefore, it may never be fully understood. It may never be fully grasped. But there does seem to be a consensus among many historians where there's a common denominator that is found. And that is that many of the rabbis, many of the Pharisees, many of the Sadducees of Jesus' time were seeking to discover which laws they absolutely had to follow 
and which laws they could possibly get out of. Now, what kind of heart, what kind of mind, what kind of soul desires to know that kind of a question? Warren Wearsby, a commentator, says it this way in his Bible Exposition Commentary, Volume 1. He says, this was not a new question, for the scribes had been debating it for centuries. They had documented 613 commandments in the law, 248 positive, 365 negative. No person could ever hope to know and fully obey all these commandments, according to them. So to make it easier, the experts divided the commandments into heavy, that is important, and light, that is unimportant, ones you don't have to follow. And therefore, a person could major on the heavy ones or potentially even light ones and not have to worry about the other ones. But Jesus had a very different school of thought about this question. Why did Jesus have a different school of thought? It's simple. Because Jesus loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, and with all of his soul and strength. And to please God and do God's will in all things was something that was first on Jesus' checklist. For Jesus, the question of obedience and eternal life and those 600 plus commandments, they all rested on Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 which is where this passage is quoted from in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that makes him very special, doesn't it? The Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul. And for Jesus, that's where obedience to the commandments all rested upon. And when Jesus points out the second, it's just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus says. It's like a nail on the wall. You put that nail right up there, and all those 600 and plus commandments, guess what? They all hang on that law. And you have no problem fulfilling those laws as they come along because guess what? You rest upon that nail. Your heart, your mind, your soul, all of your strength, it rests upon that nail. That one nail that says, I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my strength. And therefore, there is no commandment of God that comes before my attention that says, I will not. Or I don't care. Or I don't have to. Because I love the Lord my God. By the way, if you think, if you think things get easier in the New Testament, they don't. <laughs> Some have counted 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. Things don't get easier in the New Testament, but lucky for us, they still operate on the same principle 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and all else will follow. Everything will be summed up in this one word. Brothers and sisters, may I speak once more frankly and openly to you. My prayer is that each and every one of us will meet the grave someday with that nail on our wall. Having rested our mind and our heart and our soul and our everything upon that one single and great commandment that we love the Lord our God. If a man has done that, rest assured, he has done everything else. And he will do everything else. Baptism, no problem. Confession, no problem. Morality, no problem. Service, no problem. Marriage, no problem. Worship, no problem. Charity, no problem. Idolatry, no problem. Drunkenness, no problem. Envy, Holiness, lust, covetousness, forgiveness, anger, wrath, lying, honesty, prayer, obedience, honor, parents, children, brothers, sisters, humility, complaining, like-mindedness, unity, blasphemy, mercy, kindness, singing, communion, and the like. They will all be fulfilled by the soul that says with Psalm 116, verse 1, I Love the Lord. Amen? Amen.